Welcome to the Debbie Big Board, part of the Rookie Big Board Network. I'm your host, Skip Newton. With me is my co-host, Matt Cooper. Matt, it's been a long time since we've recorded together. How the hell are you, man? Dude, I'm I'm doing great. And it's been, yeah, it's been almost a month, man. And I miss you. It's good to be back. It, crazy. It's It's been crazy long. And I'd love to sit here and just catch up, but we have a <laughs> That's not special... what people are listening for, is it? <laughs> right, exactly. We've got a special show tonight. We've got a guest, and I'm really excited about this. It's Thor Nystrom. Thor, for those of you who don't know, is a college football analyst for Fantasy Pros. He also joined the longest fantasy show that I know of, the Fantasy Football Weekly with Paul Charchi and Scott Fish, Matt Harrison, and Brian Johnson. He is... Thor KU on Twitter or X. Thor, man, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, boys. It, it's good to see you, you again, Skip. It's, it's nice to meet you as well, sir. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, people don't know, but Skip and I, we met because we've done, Skip, how many leagues we've been in together now? Like it's drafts. Not, oh, oh, drafts. It's been, it's a, been a lot. Drafts, but yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, you know, the, the one league every year, and then we had uh, um, Scott Fish ones as well. Um, and then it turned out that that Skip's next door neighbor was one of my buddies from childhood. Uh, so shout out to Paul Tuckshire. Um, and good to see you. Good to be with you boys. I'm excited to talk about prospects. The best time of the year is here. It is draft season. So let's do this. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those of you who, who don't follow Thor on Twitter, if you're into Dynasty or Devi or really just college football in general, and especially if you're a big fan of the NFL draft, you 100% need to add Thor. I would not be pushing that if I didn't mean it. So absolutely do that. Folks, it is draft season. Get ahead of your league mates with in-depth and consistently updated rookie rankings supporting Dynasty and Devi rankings, the 2024 Rookie Guide, and access to the RBB Discord, where you can get personalized trade, draft, and roster construction advice. The Rookie Big Board is a proven resource that was way ahead of everyone else on Justin Jefferson identified Puka Nakua as the best sleeper prospect of 2023 and helped patrons get great fantasy football value on Justin Herbert, CeeDee Lamb, Chris Olave, Sam Laporta, and many more. You can get access to the rookie big board resources for as low as $5 per month or save 15% with an annual subscription. That is cheaper than one night at an Airbnb in North Carolina, as I learned a couple weekends ago. All right, let's get right to it. The people want the content, and Thor, you were at Mobile at the Senior Bowl, so we'll we'll focus a lot on that. But you know, just in general, talking talking draft and rookies, starting with the quarterbacks. Who do you think stood out at the Super Bowl? And I mean, stood out either positively or negatively. Senior Bowl. Yeah, yeah, down in Mobile, they, it wasn't a great quarterback crop down there in, in terms of what we've seen on the field. You know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix heading in, you thought it was going to be a battle royale, whether it's for QB5 or, you know, people that were lower on McCarthy. You know, you thought maybe one of those guys could, you know, sort of stake their claim at QB4. Uh, neither of them were very impressive. Uh, Bo Nix, the warts on Bo Nix's evaluation, which were mostly hidden by the Oregon offensive system, uh, they cropped up there. Uh, you know, what Bonix is good at, it's it's getting the snap and shotgun immediately turning to his left and throwing to the pre-delineated read. That that stuff he's good at. He's good at throwing screens to Bucky Irving. The things that he struggled with, it was the stuff that he had to do in Auburn's offense, was sit back in the pocket, survey the field, and then chuck it deep. 
the, the downfield stuff. He doesn't have the howitzer going downfield. He is not comfortable just hanging back there in the pocket or certainly surveying the options. When the, when the answer is given to him in advance and it's a quick hitter, Yes, he proved that he was very good at that. The other stuff, you know, was a question. He struggled with that stuff in Mobile. Uh, Penix, uh, he more or less just held serve. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that, that we liked about his tape, he certainly showed that. Uh, you know, he had the best arm down there, the best arm talent, uh, you know, we, different stuff like that. And when he's in the pocket and not moved off his spot, that's where he shines. That where it becomes the opposite is the second he's moved off his spot. It's a guy who struggles with pressure. He categorically cannot throw on the run. I do not trust his decisions on the move either, but the accuracy gets gets super duper wonky. I think of Michael Penix, like um, who is the guy? What was it? American Sniper or whatever the whatever the movie was about the sniper guy. But I think of him like a sniper, where if he has, you know, the sniper's just there and he everything's set up and whatnot, and he's got the gun on the, you know, what do you call it? The turret or what what, what do you call the thing you put it on? What, whatever it is, stabilizer. When, I don't. I'm, yeah, yeah, like you know I'm the thing when they're that. just like sitting there, whatever. Right. Whenever, when the condition's perfect like that, Penix is going to hit the mark. You know, even if it's way downfield, whatnot. But the second it's moved in any direction, or the second that there's other factors involved, that's where everything craters. Uh, there's a reason that snipers don't shoot on the run. Uh, their accuracy <laughs> becomes really, really bad. That is, that's Michael Penix in a nutshell. We have to see about Michael Penix's medicals in Indianapolis as well. We'll be curious to see the the reports on that, or, or you know, different things that are getting whispered, because he's also a guy that had four season-ending injuries in a row when he was at Indiana. Two of them were knee injuries. He's not a mobile guy anyway. We, we have to know from the NFL doctors: is this something where they think his risk uh, for re-injury that will keep him out for a while is elevated? Is it something where uh, it could be his career could get cut shorter? Or does he get the clean bill, you know, of like, no, it, it's it's no big deal, you know, in comparison to anybody else, whatnot. The, certainly the last two years he remained healthy. That was enormous for Michael Penix, including last year, where they, they did it all the way up through to the CFP, played more games, whatnot. But, yeah, the, those are those guys. Uh, Rattler, I would say, was probably the biggest riser um, in that, you know, in that for some people he moves into the discussion closer to Bonix and, and Michael Penix. Uh, some people have even bumped him above uh, one or one or two of those guys. Um, and he impressed as much off the field, I thought, as on the field. You know, he was a guy – I don't know if you guys ever watched that QB1 show on Netflix, but boy, did Spencer Rattler come off as a dick during that. And so, like, you're – you are you know, you go to the, the media luncheon in Mobile, and, you know, you have the opportunity to pull these guys aside. And, you know – I'll just cop to it. Like my, my perception was going to be like, man, if I, do I go and talk to the diva or like whatever he ain't a diva at all? Uh, like I, I think he's not now, right? Like I think life humbled that kid after he was benched at Oklahoma for Caleb Williams after, you know, Lincoln Riley. And then the new staff was basically like, you can move along Spencer. And then he went down to South Carolina the first year at South Carolina, he struggled and I think it went from a guy who his entire life, everyone told him, you're you're this gift to football and you're him, uh, to all of a sudden it was like, uh, you don't know what your future is. And and the guy who was, you know, this, this offensive guru doesn't want you anymore. And then, you know, he had to go to the other place, whatever. I thought he figured a lot of things out with his game last year. I, I thought it was a poor fit for him at South Carolina because the way Rattler likes to play, it's similar-ish to Bryce Young from the last class where, you know, they're both sort of shorter pocket passers, decently athletic, but not crazy athletes. But like what they both like to do is have the, the field spread 
and they like to have it in shotgun and basically give themselves a runway to, to, to scramble around different stuff like that, extend the play. It was a really bad fit at South Carolina because their off- offensive line's an abomination. It has been the last two years. And in 2022, he was still doing his high wire act that he was, you know, was doing previously at Oklahoma when, to his credit, as a redshirt freshman, he broke the PFF, or I'm sorry, finished second. So he was the number two all-time in PFF for a quarterback season, you're great under pressure. The only guy who they had ever graded higher one season under pressure was Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech. So, like, that's his game. He's comfortable with it. He'll invite people into the kitchen, do anything he can to extend the play, give the you know receivers more time to break off the route, different stuff like that. But when you're playing behind one of the worst pass-blocking offensive line in the entire nation, and then week after week it's – now we got Alabama's defensive front. Now we got Georgia's defensive front. Now we have Tennessee defensive front, whatever. He was scrambling right into duress. Like, you know, the play would be dead to rights right away. That's why he struggled 2022. He got better and the staff got better in 2023 in working around what was still a really poor offensive line. I think they finished like 108 last year in pass block grade, which is still marginally better than the year before. But between Spencer Rattler no longer going all the way out on that high wire behind what he knew was a bad offensive line and then getting more help with, from the staff with a bit more quick hitting concepts to try to keep the pass rush at bay and help out that offensive line as well. And then, like I said, he really impressed us at when we were around him in Mobile very generous kid. Um, he was like one of the only guys where like, if someone was like, Hey, can I get an interview? Oh no, no, I'm, I'm with someone right now. He would seek out the person. He'd be looking around the room. Like where'd that person go? Who wanted to interview? He he would go and find them, you know, like different stuff like that. Uh, was very generous with his time. I thought he was super duper thoughtful. He copped all that stuff about the QB one. It's like, yeah, I, I knew I came across like that. It was not a good seed uh, at 17. I was kind of an idiot, you know, and he can sort of walk you through all that stuff. So I, I would say that he would be the riser. You know, I'm I'm kind of buying into the to the human growth part of that story, right? Because I think we tend to forget, you know, when we're analyzing these players or watching them, they're kids when they start off in college, and we all develop at, at different things. I don't I don't need to get into some of the idiotic things I did in college because that that's certainly <laughs> not what the podcast is about. Although the listeners might actually find some of it entertaining, but you know, from a from a sleeper perspective, like from a, a rookie fantasy draft. Man, if, if he if he gets the right landing spot, even if it's early day three, I he might be a guy I'd be more willing to take a chance on. And I typically don't on quarterbacks that fall because there's such a low hit rate. But but man, Rattler, he has enough of the skills. And if he's matured, that could be that could be lightning in a bottle potentially. And I think, you know, you're you're looking late second round, third round of your rookie draft. Hey, why not? Totally agree. I mean, he's the one dude outside of those consensus top six quarterbacks who has a, a path to developing into an average NFL starting quarterback. Like Spencer Rattler, absolutely. There is a path. And like, it's not like a logical lead, but this could absolutely happen. He could become the 15th or 16th best quarterback walking planet earth. It's he, he needs work to get there, but he has the skill set because he's got the snappy arm. What I love about, he's got gumption guts, um, you know, both in terms of that thing I was talking about, about the high wire act in the pocket. He does not care about the pressure. Um, now, he needs to work with it better, like I said, and he did get better with it in 2023. But the other thing, testing down the field. Um, in Mobile, you saw these, and, and we see this at all-star events every year, the quarterbacks start turning into check-down Charlies because they don't want to make a mistake or, you know, it's the first time meeting some of the receivers. And so, invariably, you'll see just a ton of check-downs, a, a ton of conservative throws, whatnot. That's what we were seeing from guys like Pratt, 
from uh, uh, Joe Milton, who has an enormous arm, but you wouldn't know it from having watched him in Mobile. Certainly Bo Nix was, as much as he could, was going back to his check down tendencies. Spencer Rattler was flinging it downfield. Uh, he was testing windows, doing different stuff like that. The guy's got no fear, and he has the ability, that, that pocket ability, the scramble ability, the evasion ability, and then that snappy arm. He also attacks the middle of the field, which I like. A guy like Michael Penix stunk attacking the middle of the field. Like, he just doesn't do it. He, Michael Penix is going to have to be taught to attack the middle of the field. He likes the sidelines and then down the field, whatnot. Rattler attacks uh, areas and sectors of the field that translate to NFL success. So I, I like that call a lot. Nice. So speaking of translating to NFL success, and we're going to get out of mobile for just a second, but I, I've heard you enough to know that you have a strong opinion on Michigan quarterback, JJ McCarthy. <laughs> and this is, you know, the, the rookie big board, which is, you know, owned by Matt Hicks. So I, I'm obligated to ask your opinion on JJ McCarthy. <laughs> I love JJ McCarthy. Uh, it, it, it seems like way longer than I, I had to look it up. 13 days ago is when I, I – so I had this spot on uh, on Score North, and, you know, I just went on this rant basically responding to all the stuff I was reading on Twitter and publicly about J.J. McCarthy, which is flat wrong. Like, the idea that he was a second-round guy, the idea that it was like him and Knicks and Penix were like the group whatnot, uh, his tape does not say that. His tape says he is in the top four quarterbacks clearly and objectively, and the discussion becomes where – in the four, but it's not, you know, like just the way he was being discussed. And a lot of the, the, the times when he, the detractors and whatnot, other point that is his volume stats. And it's like, well, guys, if you just look at, at the correct stats, he immediately moves to the top of the board or, you know, one of the top guys on the board, uh, you know, like for, for instance, um, the, the different percentiles under pressure, standard dropback rate at or beyond the sticks avoids negatives uh, outside the pocket percentile, third and fourth down percentile, positively graded throw percentile, those seven categories that I just mentioned, there's only one quarterback in this class who's 70th percentile or above in every single one. His name is J.J. McCarthy. That's not the most impressive thing. The most impressive thing is there's not another one who's even 55th or above in each of them. And just like going, you know, to the different stats and like whatnot, you know, <laughs> people need to understand that don't watch college football. Michigan had a 21 point lead or more in the second half of, I, I think it was 10 of their games of their 15. Uh, J.J. McCarthy did not take one snap in seven of the 15 games this year because they were flogging their opponents so bad. It's like, you know, do you have to explain to people like you're not throwing down downfield when you're up by 40 points, a lead that was, you know, in large part accrued because of J.J. McCarthy, whatnot. Um, the other thing I'd say, you know, just uh, to the, the counting stats or anything, like if, if you want some of those, uh, quarterbacks by first half passing attempts minus screens. If you were to take that just from last season, JJ McCarthy leads the top four quarterbacks. He had the most of them because when the game actually mattered, like when, you know, whatever, they heavily relied on him and trusted him and whatnot, gave him a lot of leash with that stuff. Last year, quarterbacks by percentage, percentage of attempts on third and six, JJ McCarthy led this class uh, of the top four guys. Quarterbacks last year, percentage of pass minus screen attempts against top 25 defenses. In other words, a metric that judges how much that coaching staff trusted that quarterback against elite defenses. J.J. McCarthy, 49.7%. Caleb Williams, 35.4%. Drake May, 17.9%. Jaden Daniels, 16.2%. And then I'm reading this nonsense on Twitter where they're like, oh, they didn't trust him. It's like, uh, I don't trust you to understand context, sir. You know, like, it's like, I don't know what to tell you. 
you, you can't just look at passing yardage out of context from one season of college football where a team was dominant the entire time and be like, that's who that guy is. It's like, you're, you're going to have to look at either other stuff or watch his tape or, you know, something like that. And um, I, I just think JJ McCarthy is way better than people think he he's rated my quarterback three right now. Um, but you know, I, I really, really like, I have him above Drake may, I think, J.J. McCarthy's floor is a lot higher than he's given credit for, a lot, lot higher. I, I don't see any way that he is not a viable NFL starting quarterback. Like, what are the odds that he is worse than Daniel Jones? Zero, right? So, like, you know, or whoever, you know. So, so, so then you have your baseline there, and I think his ceiling is way, way high, way higher than he's been given credit for. And the reason for that is this is a guy, third year, so, right, the true junior, he just turned – was it, was, was it 20? He, he just had a birthday. It was either 20 or 21. I think he just turned 20. Um, but in his, his second year, he's already starting for Jim Harbaugh, obviously an NFL offense, NFL staff. Third year, he wins the national title game. The discussion about McCarthy, it's always, oh, you know, he threw for 2,900 yards last year. But, the, the you know, again, I already gave the context for the other stats. I think the thing that should be discussed, that like the thing that's actually worthy to discuss about J.J. McCarthy is he appears to be a potential prodigy of an out-of-the-pocket, out-of-structure, throwing off-platform, making decisions under duress out there um, on the edges and the boundary and whatnot, um, and, and coming up with the right answer and having the arm to get it downfield appears to be a prodigy at that. The, the thing with that is it's an extremely rare quality to be super duper consistent at that that early in your progression. I think the more impressive thing is J.J. McCarthy, who is an out of structure. Like that's where he could be a savant if he hits his, his absolute apex ceiling that a guy like that, this wild stallion of a prospect, he fit his game into the pro style offense. So we now know that he can win within structure. Absolutely. But he's also could be one of the better out of structure quarterback prospects that we have seen coming to the NFL in a long time. He's not given been given credit that that he deserves. The more people that get into the film, they see this. The NFL loves him a lot more than the public. But I think the more the public gets into that, and more people get my, in my industry get into his full uh, catalog of film, that's where he will be rising. But really, it'll just be catching up to what the reality is. Man, see now. Before I was worried that taking him at eleven might be too high for our Vikings, but I don't now think he's you're, you're convincing me he might not be there. God, I don't like the sound of that. I, I don't think he's going to be there. And just as far as that goes, I, I think you have to get past the Falcons. I I think the train stops there for McCarthy if he, if he happened to get there. And of course, you know the the Falcons haven't acquired another quarterback in advance. That that's that's where the stop ends for him. So you know, a team like the Vikings, there are rampant reports that Sean Payton is obsessed with JJ McCarthy from very credible sources that are coming, not only from the state of Colorado, Paul Allen just reported this yesterday. I mean, everyone and their mother is reporting that Sean Payton loves uh, JJ McCarthy, which makes a lot of sense. You all, you know, not only do you have to get above the Falcons, you also have to get high enough. So you're not blocked by, you know, whether it's the Broncos, whether it's the Raiders, the one other team that needs a quarterback, the state or the saints, whatever in, in that little grouping there you have to make sure that you block those teams as well. But yeah, I, I think that's sort of the discussion when, when you're thinking about JJ McCarthy, where he's going to go. Oh man, that, that is awesome stuff. Let's, let's pivot to, to running backs. You know, a lot of people feel like it's, it's a down year at the position overall. How do you feel about running backs and, you know, any, any running back that stood out at, at mobile? It definitely at the top. Yeah. I mean, this class is dog, uh, dog, you know, what dog doo doo at the, at the top in, in terms of the running backs, 
But when it gets later, if you just chop off the first tier and maybe even the first two tiers, some could argue, then it becomes a normal running back class. It's just what we're lacking. It's those guys at the top, whether the one, the two, the three, the four, whatever. But once you get beyond that and you start talking about like the, the running backs in the third round, the fourth round, in the fifth round, the guys that should be going in there, you start to get some attractive running back uh, prospects, especially at the, the price says that you'll bring them in. Uh, a guy that I would suggest our local Vikings take a look at in the, you know, whether it's a late third, early fourth, um, the Vikings would need to trade into the third round to have a pick like that. But I think they might have a couple of fours would be Marshawn Lloyd is a guy that I think would come in right away and start for the Vikings. He's going to be available somewhere in there. Um, I, I There's a whole bunch of guys I like. Once you start getting beneath that, I, I, I love Kamani Vidal. He's a big, big time sleeper. He's going to go probably sixth round. He might even go in the seventh if he doesn't test well. He, speed is the, the thing you nitpick about him, you know, outside of his height. He's only, you know, 5'7 and, and an eyelash or whatever. But he's one of those uh, true bowling ball guys. It's really hard to see him behind the offensive line, but then he brings the hammer because he packs 220 plus pounds of muscle onto this very compact frame. And as low to the ground as he is, he's extremely agile. It's impossible to square him up as well. You know, like it's like, and now I'm here, now I'm not. He can make you miss for sure. But even forcing the, the off angle things, Kamani Vidal was number two last year in the FBS in uh, uh, Miss Tackles Forest. He reminds me so, so, so much of a guy that the NFL did not value coming out, was it four or five years ago, who also happened to be not only the exact same dimensions as Kamani Vidal, he also happened to finish number two in the FBS in Miss Tackles Force his last season at Oklahoma State, a guy named Jalen Warren. I asked Kamani when I talked to him in Mobile, you know, I was like, you know, who do you pattern your game after? Who would you comp yourself to? And he said Maurice Jones Drew, which like, you know, you're always going to sort of just, you know, elevate yourself a little bit. You know, we, we all do that. And and I said, okay, I can see that a little bit. But I, I said, have you ever watched Jalen Warren? I, I said, we we see a lot of, of Jalen Warren in you. And he got a big smile and he's like, okay, I can see that one for sure. Um, it's a lot of the same kind of footwork and, and different stuff like that. Uh, the strengths of Jalen Warren are also the same with Vidal. And he's going to get nitpicked for the same things. Lack of home run speed. The over, like his Raz will probably be absolute middle of the road. He's certainly not going to stand out in that. But a really, really good football player. I, I could toss out a million of them. Once you get lower in the rank, Isaiah Davis from, uh, he was a senior bowl guy as well, just like Vidal from South Dakota State. I, I also think as a guy, once you get late fifth round, sixth round, that if the, you know, for instance, the Vikings, a team that I think should take a running back, if they have not yet, that I would pop around there that I think is a little bit undervalued. But there's a whole lot once you get beyond, you have to get over the fact that the first couple of tiers, we don't have any studs. Yep, absolutely. Who who are your top two to three, two or three running backs? Who's your tier one? I know, I know you said you'd cut off the first tier and a half, but you know, the, the early guys at the running back position. Yeah. So like I haven't finalized these, but where I'd have it right now, you know, like because you know, I, I want to get through all the, the cut-ups on the guys before I, you know, do that and get the especially with running back uh, position like receiver as well. You want to get the athletic testing profiles in. But right where we sit right now, my rough draft would be I got Trey Benson on the top. And the reason for that is not that he is the most consistent or the safest. He absolutely is not. It's that he has the highest ceiling. And to me, I, I'm not sure that that is debatable. You know, kid, 6'1", 221, and we know that speed is not a problem for him, if nothing else. Like, he he might be the premier size speed uh, running back prospect in this class. 
And not only that, 2022, his first year at Florida State, he was coming off this catastrophic knee-hamstring injury from, it was like roughly a year and a half before that, the very end of his true freshman year at Oregon, basically didn't play as a sophomore. Then he transfers to FSU, 2022, he breaks the PFF record for force missed tackle rate in a season. So he Benson in 2022 became the first running back that PFF had ever charted in college in one singular season where he broke more than half the tackle attempts that were attempted on him. Uh, previous to that, Javante Williams is the highest. I think Javante, uh, th that season at North Carolina when he went ballistic, I think he was like 48, but no one had ever crossed 50. Benson was like 51 or 52 in 2022. Then, you know, like I, I like his game a lot. I was expecting him to go nuclear this year. And obviously the roster is better whatnot. Mike Norvell has really weird usage with his running backs. And, and this comes down to how do you see Benson? Which way are you going to argue it? Because you could argue his evaluation for two different ways. But do you blame Norvell for the usage that consistently pulled the, the year before, even in 2022, when he was super duper dominating, Trayshawn Ward would come in, you know, every series, every other series or every third series, whatever. Um, even when, when Benzel was rolling. And then last year they did it with Toa Philly, you know, and then also they would get, they would skew more pass heavy than they had the previous season. Cause they had Johnny Wilson, they had Keon Coleman and whatnot. And before Jordan Travis got injured, of course, at the end of the year, after Jordan Travis gets hurt, I think it was the 10th game against the FCS team uh, middle of November. Then they couldn't throw anymore. So it, th their offense literally became wildcat. So, yeah, it, like it became really difficult for Benson to work at that point. But I, I just think that the high end, the the ceiling is there with, with Benson for th those reasons. Number two, I would have Jalen Wright from Tennessee for very like, I mean, it's, it's not the same eval at all, but Jalen Wright, it's the ceiling. Um, a ludicrous athlete. This is a kid before he even broke out at Tennessee. He was, you know, Josh Heupel, speaking of backfield committees, Josh Heupel loves his backfield committees. And, you know, he had these three different dudes, whatnot. And uh, 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 Jalen Wright was on the bottom of that totem pole. Well, during that, so this was like a previous year, I think, you know, true sophomore, true freshman, whatever. Bruce Feldman listed him as a Feldman freak lifter when nobody knew who Jalen Wright was. And Bruce Feldman's like, this dude's a freak. He runs this, he jumps this, like whatnot. And then last year, we finally got to see it on the field. That guy absolutely has the speed, absolutely has the burst. There are some reports about his vertical jump where it's like, that can't be real. But also, I will be watching very closely when, when he goes up there for the vertical jump. It's like, how much over 40 are you saying he can get? You know, different stuff like that. Super duper athletic kid. And a guy that worked his way beyond the two other dudes at Tennessee got to the top of that committee. But because of that committee, and in large part because of it, he goes into the NFL, does not have the wear or tear that a lot of these different guys have. He gives you all the athleticism. He might be the number one most athletic running back in this class when, when you adjust it for size, different stuff like that. And you can start making the argument for him. What if he had had more usage there? Because the per snap stuff, the per rush stuff, the per uh, uh, target stuff in the receiving game, he comes out aces in that stuff. So it's like, you know, if, if you know, with that sort of stuff, we'll have to see what the testing thing is. But if he tests like a freak, I'm not sure how you keep Jalen Wright out of your top three running backs. Those would be my top two. I, I think number three, I'd go with Jonathan Brooks. Um, some people, when before he got injured, were a little bit higher on Brooks than than I am. I still like his game for sure. But then you you also have the thing of he's coming off the ACL and, and different stuff like that. Uh, Texas had a, a good run blocking offensive line. They they also had the good receivers on the outside, so you couldn't load up on Jonathan Brooks. I think he's a good uh, running back, 
but a guy obviously, you know, earlier in his career was stuck behind um, Bijan, was stuck behind Roshan, different stuff like that. He had a good season last year before the knee injury, but because of the injury, I'd want the clean bill of health on him. Um, I, I think he's solid, but again, you know, 205, whatever, he's a little bit beneath the threshold for that as well. I put him RB3 right now, pending what we hear on his medicals. All right, Benson, Wright, and Brooks. There you go. Uh, a different top three than I think a lot of people might have, but I like it. The The description of Wright, it really feels like every NFL draft, there's always that that one player, maybe even one player at, at a lot of different positions, but there's always one guy that gets drafted way higher than I think your your casual or even even more diehard NFL fan is expecting. Like, whoa, where did this guy come from? Jalen Wright feels like he could be that guy. And it all depends on, you know, like you said, the testing. I think last year, you know, maybe this time last year, we were all talking about, you know, and I know you were talking about, you know, Sam Laporta, great fantasy sleeper tight end. You love the guy, all the the broken tackles. He's so physical. And the NFL clearly agreed with you because all of a sudden he went from sleeper to the second second tight end taken overall in a deep tight end class. And then, oh, there goes the the sleeper thoughts, but I, I like that idea right there. All right, everyone, we will discuss pass catchers in a minute. First, I want to make sure you know that the Rookie Big Board is now partnered with Underdog Fantasy Football. This is the best app for fantasy contests. They are running daily contests for the NBA, NHL, and more. You can join the RBB crew on Underdog by using the promo code RBB. It will get you a 100% match on your first deposit and help us grow. All right. Speaking of last year, I know you loved guys like Puka Nakua and Tank Dell, because I remember fighting in the auction over those guys with you and losing. Which receivers <laughs> are you high on this year? Any in any of those guys were particularly standouts at the Senior Bowl? Uh, the the two obvious ones it was uh, uh, Lab McConkey and Roman Wilson. McConkey was the one guy this year. Uh, you know, I think. You have to keep in mind what you're watching down there. And there's, you know, you, you see the one-on-ones and whatnot, which are invariably slanted, whether it's to the offense or the defense, depending on which one it is. When the receivers are up against the defensive backs and the one-on-ones, it is very precarious for the cornerbacks. In fact, like I feel bad for the defensive backs and those because it's like it's literally the whole field. And it's like the receiver has the entire canvas to work with. And then the poor defensive back, you know, the entire NFL is watching all the NFL media, all their peers. And then they're one-on-one with a dude and they have to, you know, defend the, the entire field, whatever. It's heavily, heavily slanted towards the wide receivers. But the what I always look for in those things, it's not only winning off the line. It's not only the route difference, stuff like that. The, the thing that is really telling about those one-on-ones, it's does any of these receivers – either change the behavior of all the defensive backs that are there, or do you start seeing the the thing where they, they you know, you, you do the rep and then you get back in line. And sometimes you'd notice, you know, like for instance, the year before tank Dell, uh, not only did guys start on Wednesday, the Wednesday practice ever after tank Dell was licking everyone, they couldn't get them off the line. And, and then they were in real trouble after that because he would be getting separation by 10 yards by the time the ball came, whatever. So everyone is afraid of getting embarrassed by Tank Dell on Wednesday because they'd all gotten embarrassed by him the day before. So what you'd see is the poor schlubs who got to the front of the line against Tank Dell, they would just start grabbing him out of the route breaks, like obnoxiously. Like they were like, nope, you're not embarrassing me in front of the NFL. So they would just kill the rep by grabbing him. And then the fake refs out there who never throw their flags, they would have to because it was it was so cartoonish, whatever. You would also see guys that were trying to duct tank. So like 
they would have to tie their shoes mysteriously. What you know, they're three away. They peek over. Tank was three back. The reason I bring all this up is because Lad McConkey was the only guy at this year's event that changed the behavior of all the defensive backs. It was the same thing where on Tuesday he was licking people. No one could get him off the line. He was separating as easy as he wanted to, like rolling out of bed. And on Wednesday, it's not that they started grabbing him out of route breaks like they had done with Tank Dell the year before, but you noticed a very funny quirk, which is that every single one of those defensive backs, they would line up a minimum of five-plus yards off the line of him. Sometimes it cartoonish. Some guys would be 10 yards off or eight yards off, and they were basically saying, go ahead, throw it to him in this eight to 10 yards. I will seed the free completion so he doesn't embarrass me worse than it would otherwise be. No other receiver was getting that kind of respect. The other ones, the defensive backs wanted to get up there, show the NFL, I can play press coverage, watch me stick this guy, get my hands in his chest and get in his hip pocket whatnot. With Lad McConkey, they were all like, uh-uh. They, they all threw up the yellow flag and no one wanted to get to the front of the line against Lad McConkey. They were like, oh, I got to tie my shoes or... I, I, I think I got to go get a drink of water. I'm, I'm feeling, you know, need to hydrate. Awesome. Yeah. And, and that's, that's consistent too. I've heard, you know, Lad McConkey and, and some people even identified him during the season. Tough to do in that Georgia passing scheme, but, but definitely somebody that stood out and Roman Wilson as well. I, I like that identification. Other wide receivers, not at mobile that you are high on, obviously, you know, the, the big, the big guys at the top, we don't need to talk about them, but you know, any other deeper guys that you are interested in that you were thinking, you know, could be, could be late, you know, late rookie draft prospects. Yeah. I got a couple for sure. Uh, one, one of them was another dude who is at mobile. It's Javon Baker. I, I think Javon Baker is underrated. Um, my concern with him, funny enough, it doesn't have anything to do with his on-field profile. I, I I think it plays at the NFL level. I think he wins at all three levels at the NFL level. I'm more concerned about uh, – I've heard some things about you know, people getting along with Javon Baker, and I think that's going to be his bigger ch- challenge at the NFL level. Uh, Javon Baker is – he's – okay. He's like uh, – well, for local folks, he's he, his personality is Stefan Diggs. Javon Baker, absolutely one thought – and this is not an exact – this is the truth – Javon Baker ardently believes that he is the best wide receiver in this class. And it's not just that he doesn't understand why people don't see it the way that he does. He absolutely thinks he's better than Marvin Harrison. He absolutely thinks he's better than Malik neighbors when he's on the field, he wants the ball. And when it's not being given to him or when it's, when it's a little bit errant, you see the dog in, in Javon Baker, he can rub people the wrong way. Sometimes he has a big time belief in himself. He does not mind letting you know that as well. He's one of those guys where if he succeeds at the beginning of his career, I think his personality plays like that's when, you know, that kind of a guy, he, he becomes more of a catalyst uh, in moments where it doesn't or if he's not succeeding initially, it doesn't go well. That's where he could get ushered out quick. But I, I think it's, you know, more has to do with, with that sort of a thing. Uh, a deeper dude that I like, I oh, I like um, this kid caught my ton. Lot, you know, I play college fantasy football. Not only do I play college fantasy football, I have the the largest fantasy league without duplicates that I, I, I I've never in existence. I, I'm I'm quite convinced that no league is bigger than this. I have a 50 team college fantasy football league where Whoa. you know we we break into five divisions, ten teams in each division, and then each I'm gonna have to reconfigure it now. But in the past, what you do is you had one Power Five conference, one G five conference for each of them. Then with the extra independence, you'd sprinkle them around to make all the the teams even, whatnot. We, we would run the projections to try to make sure that qualitatively they, they were as close, whatever. 
But because of this league, uh, you know, and I cover the sport, of course, but especially because of this league, you know, you get with, with some of these guys at the beginning of the season, they start to pop up that you were not, you know, it's like the shack. I wasn't aware of your game or whatever. Malik Washington of Virginia was for sure like that uh, this past year. He came into the year. We thought he was going to be a number two guy on a really, really bad passing offense. It turned out that he was easily the number one dominant alpha on what still wasn't a great passing offense, but without him, it would have been absolutely horrific. Um, you know, he is a slot guy. Um, the the question with him is in the NFL, when his usage changes, is, is that going to play? Because um, what he's really good at, it's, you know, he's going to make the catch short for sure. And he's going to start breaking tackles after that. He's very reliable with that, the transition from being a receiver into a runner. And then he becomes the problem. Uh, you know, he he has really good movement skills and different stuff like that, particularly with the ball in his hands. We didn't get to see him running as many of the routes downfield at Virginia, in part because most of the year they were starting this Calandria kid who was like 18 years old, true freshman. And then when they weren't starting Calandria, it was, it was these other guys who were accuracy averse and didn't throw it on the field, whatnot. So Virginia's literally their entire offense was force the ball to Malik Washington and, and pray. You know, and that's that's what it was. And the defense knew it was coming. The defense couldn't stop it. But because of that, the A dot is super duper low. So you have to project some of this stuff because he was, you know, broke out his last season one night. And it was in that particular offensive environment. It's not like Malachi. Malachi Corley, the nonsense about Malachi Corley being able to run routes, get out of here. I watched that dude. First of all, he didn't do any at WKU. We saw it for years and years. He had all kinds of opportunities. He was always just the running back down the line. You have to manufacture Malachi Corley's targets. The only other t route that he had success with at WKU, a few times a season, they just run him straight down the field. And then the, the quarterback would hit him whatnot. He doesn't have any nuance, and he didn't really show any in Mobile either. But that's a guy where we've seen it over the, the course of it. And then, you know, like whatever, he he proved to us that, that that is something he struggles with. So to me, you have to make a logical leap on that account. Malik Washington is a little bit different because I think the context suggests – there could be more, and the movement certainly would indicate that if, at least if he knows what he's doing, that it will be able to play into the other sectors of the field as well. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Last question from me, getting into tight ends. Obviously, we've got Brock Bowers at the top, but any guys after that that, that you're excited about from a fantasy perspective? In a word, no. That's um, fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I you know, I guess Jatavian Sanders would be the one, you know, toss out. That kid is a good receiver, so I, I, I don't want to dog on him. Um, but outside of that, like from fantasy, not as much, man. Like, you know, Cade Stover, I like him as like a, the dual threat guy. He can play on the inline. He's not a bad receiver, but it's like, you know, you're like in the phylum of – he's better than Dawson Knox, but you're like you're sort of in that phylum, whatever. He's not a special receiver by any means. Ben Sonat is, you know, you have to figure out, is he a true inline guy? Is he, is he like just like a move guy, age back guy? You know, again, okay, but I'm not like super, you know, excited about him for fantasy. Jaheim Bell, I know people want it with Jaheim Bell, and we'll have to see, um, you know, he could be certainly better than like, a, you know, a Kylan Granson or someone like, you know, like that. But like, I don't know by how much. I, I don't think there's anything special with his athletic profile. Uh, Theo Johnson was the best tight end in, in Mobile. Um, you know, and, and he's a solid receiver, but he's not a freak athlete, nothing like that. I, I just, it's tough. Even like pointing out like sleepers down here, like, you know, I don't know how deep people's leagues are. The one guy that I, I'm you know, sort of intrigued by who's going to go way, way late is Eric all from Iowa uh, because he's athletic. He can catch the ball. He can certainly play in line, you know, 
obviously coming from Iowa and whatnot. He played at Michigan before that. The other team that fetishizes tight end play as much as Iowa does. Last year should have been his breakout season. But, of course, Iowa's uh, their one competent quarterback. He got injured right away. Kate McNamara, guy who came uh, over from Michigan at the same time as Eric Hall, gets injured right away. The, the backup they put in, I, I laugh because I'm an Iowa guy. I went to Iowa for graduate school, so I watch other snaps. The backup they put in was this kid named Deacon Hell, who one of the worst throwers I've ever seen. He has arm strength for sure, but like he has no idea where it's going and everything is thrown the exact same way, no feel and whatnot. That's who it became after that. And then Eric Hall got injured, but Eric Hall has receiving chops. And I think he's going to, um, I, I don't, I, I would have to check and see if he's going to be able to test coming off the injury. But if he was able to test, I think he would, you know, the profile is going to put up is going to be closer to the top of the class. That would be like a, a sleeper guy. But yeah, this, this tight end class is not great after certainly Bowers, but then the top two guys in particular. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I think a lot of people are thinking. But just wanted to make sure we weren't weren't missing anybody obvious. Matt, I I feel like I've hogged all the the questions here. Do you got any thoughts, or do we want to wrap this up? <laughs> um, I know that Tez Walker had a terrible week in Mobile. Was it as bad as Twitter made it seem like it was? Um, when I studied his tape, I I was wondering where the hype came from ever to begin with because i i just don't know what there is to like about tess walker but do you have a different opinion on that um you have a good eye first of all i'll say and second of all i you know i wasn't reading the twitter stuff in the stadium i'm guessing they didn't go far enough uh tez really struggled in mobile and i i saw him the same way uh as you do i and i still do uh i like you know when people need to understand when tez walker went to kent state that was with Sean Lewis, the guy who then uh, became the offensive coordinator for Dion uh, at, at Colorado for one year. And, and now, now he's the head coach at, at San Diego State. But that offense, it's taking stuff heavily from the old uh, Bryles offenses at Baylor, where it's the you have the hyper spread. And then, you know, it, it's more or less uh, a 50 50 split, but you run it at extreme tempo. You know, and, and then you're forcing the defense to cover, you know, every single inch of the field, whatever. Tez Walker was the outside receiver in that. Recall how many Baylor receivers over the years fooled evaluators uh, because of this. Tez Walker at, at Kent State, he was doing the downfield thing. Uh, he could singe Matt Corners for sure on the outside. I um, mean, the thing I like about Tez, I like his ball skills downfield. Um, he like um, one thing he does, it's, it's just a very small nuance, but it's you know, a, a thing you have to point out, he's got the late hands thing, especially down the field. I like that. He attacks the ball, whatnot. But the frame, he's skinnier, I think, than people think. And he is not a burner. And that is a problem when you consider. So then he goes to North Carolina and it's like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, he's going to play with Drake May for his last season. And, you know, we we like the one skill of down the field. We You know, we want to see how fast he is, but we know he can at least beat Mac cornerbacks downfield. But we haven't seen other stuff, you know, because the others, you know, sometimes they would throw him the outside funnel screen or whatever. Sometimes they would have him go on a slant. Very simple stuff outside. of That was it. That was literally it. And where mm -hmm. almost all the utility was coming from, it was the downtown stuff. We yeah, were one like see route tree was like nines and comebacks. And that was like the whole uh, route the comeback was the other one. Yeah. So it's like you you have the four. I mean, and you won't even consider like a funnel screen or route. So I'll toss that one out. But it's it's the slanter, the comeback. So it's you know you have the fastball is the is the long ball. You have the changeup is. I'm, I'm going to go deep. I'm going to go deep. But no, actually, I'm coming back. And then the slant is just you're just running across the field. I thought his slants were super rounded too. We're not like, good. 
Not yeah, we're, we're, and and also he doesn't keep the the guy off the beat of his scent. Like you typically know, like even the comebacks, it, it's like all right, you're you're not going down the field because he just telegraphs it. You know, he's not one of those guys that's good with footwork. I'm not sure how often he thinks about like if I was the defensive back looking at myself, what would I be you know looking for to think it was like a downfield like. Lad McConkey is a guy that clearly spends all of his days thinking about like putting himself in the head of the cornerback across from him and then screwing with it. You know, he's like uh, Professor X and X Men. He's just like getting into their brains. I'm not sure that Tez Walker has ever thought about it one time because it's just the way that he runs the routes. And and then he goes to North Carolina. This is the thing you can give him the benefit of the doubt on. It doesn't help his eval, but I'll at least give him the benefit of the doubt. He goes to North Carolina. The NCA decides to be selectively punitive with him and try to claim that, oh, this is your second transfer. We just tra- changed the rule. They've now changed it back. This, this whole thing was so stupid. But mm-hmm. they wouldn't let Tez Walker at the beginning of the season play in North Carolina. And they flat out said, you're not playing all, all season. So that's what we thought. And then the NCA ended up changing their mind because behind closed doors, North Carolina threatened to sue them. But, you know, we won't get into that. They changed their mind. They say, Tez, you know, this is in October. Oh, hey, you know, uh, for, forget about all that. You actually can play starting this Saturday. Yeah. So Tez was to come in, you know, cold turkey when you haven't been playing with the offense for half the season that's for that's sure. exactly what it was like he was practicing but no one there thought he was going to play right and so you know how much was of the these nuances was you know whatever he had to deal with the other stuff he said that he was depressed and different like i'm not sure about all that stuff or mm-hmm. if that was you know i i, I don't know I, I didn't say it a holiday and express last night either but i don't think it was like a hundred percent full going then you're tossing midstream well, what, what's North Carolina going to do? They've already been running their offense for five to six weeks at this point. They just had Tez Walker do what Tez Walker is good at. It was running more goal routes and the same sort of route tree we've seen at Kent State. The kid can't run routes right now. And the bigger problem with that is when you when you project his body and his frame to the outside in the NFL at the speed that I think he will run at, I don't think he's as fast as other people do. I think that there could be some issues there. And then you start to add all those different things. It's like, there's a few things about his profile. Like I know he can beat Mac cornerbacks uh, downfield, but it's like, you start the other stuff. And then it's like, if he doesn't run quite as well, it's like even that one utility, I'm not sure how that plays in the NFL and him stinking and mobile. He was bad. It uh, doesn't help at all. So yeah, I mean like there's a lot of doubt on Tez Walker's uh, eval. I'm not sure why people are still like, oh, he could go in the back half of the first. I don't know what GM is going to look at the the tape he has provided and 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 the whole profile and be like, that's a first. Like that would, I, I wouldn't understand that at all. I, I don't know what he is showing. Like what other prospect would you point to in the same body with what, you know, the same athletic profile that, that has only run those couple routes and, you know, that, that has gone in the first round. It's, he's not going in the first round. That's the whole point. <laughs> all right hey thanks a lot man this this was awesome thor i really appreciate you joining us once again everyone thor nystrom from fantasy pros also fantasy football weekly he is thor ku on twitter or x whichever you want to refer to it as thanks again man i really appreciate you coming on the show good talking to you boys always a pleasure All right. Thanks again for Matt, for Thor. Thank you so much for listening. I am Skip. If you have not already, do us a favor and leave us a five-star review on whichever podcast app you are using. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss any of the RBB action. Have an awesome weekend, everyone. Take care.